0: this morning I printed off my notes and on the printer, someone had left cardstock. And so I just went with it. So I feel like my notes are like the 10 commandments, you know, like there's something really profound here to say. Um, one of the things I'm so grateful for Sindhu for is the intentionality with which she chooses songs. And so as we've sat here for a few minutes already, I feel like we've been already entering into the themes I want to talk about. The things we've sung are, are very close to the scriptures we just read and to the reflection I want to, to make as we look at them. This is our second week now in Matthew. We were last week in Matthew chapter four, really at the very end of chapter four. And we pick up today in chapter five, only two verses that were skipped between where we started today and where we ended last Last week. I'm going to read them because they're actually significant. It says Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. It's really helpful because those give us the context for why Jesus had all these crowds coming to him. It's because he was increasingly gaining this reputation as a healer and people were drawn to him for that reason. Massive crowds were coming to him, looking and longing for healing for their ailments. And yet the context is really important because what we just read is not Jesus talking to those crowds. This is a private, intimate moment with his disciples. And yet it's easy to miss that because we think of Jesus just kind of wandering aimlessly about through the crowds. I think like the 1960s and 70s Jesus movies really solidify this image. Because you see, especially the Sermon on the Mount is like always at the center of those movies. And you see it's like flower power Jesus, right? He's kind of just like wandering around the Galilean hillside offering these words of wisdom like blessed are the poor in spirit and he puts a flower behind someone's ear you know like that's kind of the the vibe that we get and it's not actually what's going on here at all that's like john lennon spirituality Like the world will be as one. Nothing against John, maybe maybe a little against John, (laughs) Uh, because it's not what's going on here whatsoever. This is not this like big moment with the crowds where Jesus is like peace, hope, and love. It's him actually pulling his disciples aside and having a really significant conversation about here's what you see going on in public. Let me actually tell you the heart of this. Let me actually tell you what you should expect. If you continue with me, here's where this journey is going to lead you. N.T. Wright often says the gospel is good news, not just good advice. And so what When I hear that, I think of this passage because really Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. It's not just giving this abstract list of good advice, like you should be meek because it'll work out for you. No, it's it's actually something of the gospel, something of the nature of his kingdom that he's talking about. Uh, And yet this is a really familiar text. If you've been in or around church whatsoever, you know these words really well. You've heard this often. And this is always the danger when that's the case. It's tempting to just kind of check out, to to think, I know what Jesus is on about. I know He's saying, and so let's just dive into these and kind of unpack it a bit and see if maybe there's something more here for us to to hear. The kind of basic structure of what we just read. These are often called couplets. There's nine couplets. These little phrases that all are structured in the same way, saying similar things. They have a title and a matching condition this is paralleled in luke chapter 6 which came up in the last year or so in our sunday readings where there it's called the sermon on the plain but very similar teaching very similar content in many aspects here we have the sermon on the mount also commonly known as the beatitudes you may know that phrase the beatitudes drawn from those repeated couplets blessed are blessed are um, and really, let's talk about blessing for a minute. This is interesting. In in the Bible, which was written in Greek, the New Testament, the Greek language is so much more uh, rich and diverse than we have as English. And so where we maybe have one word, they would have three or four or five words to get at different aspects of the same thing. And so when it comes to the word blessing or blessed, there's actually two words that are really commonly used. One is the way that you and I would ask for a blessing. Like, God, would you bless my home? Would you bless my family would you bless this uh, new job i've taken on you know whatever it may be it's saying i I, i'm needing blessing to show up in a way that it's not yet here and so we kind of use blessing in that way when we pray or ask a blessing that's not the word that's used in the beatitudes interestingly the word that's used is makarios makarios is the word that is used here and makarios is a really interesting word because it's a word that is a statement of something already present Makarios to talk of blessing is a statement of reality. This is already true. You are in this very moment blessed. In classical Greek, they would use Makarios to speak about the happiness of the gods like the gods had Macarios because that was the truest thing about their gods they were they were blessed. Uh it's interesting I've had Macarios as a word on my mind this week more than I thought I would. I'll tell you why. Uh our church for many years Trinity has had a partnership with a school in the Dominican Republic called Macarios. That may be where if you're like I've heard that word. Uh, that may be where you've heard it. A school in the Dominican Republic uh for uh for poor and at risk uh, children. And we send teams there once a year or or so often, maybe twice a year, once a year or so. Uh, And we have a team there that left yesterday. I've known this was happening. Uh, My sister's on it. Actually, he goes here to the north side. What's a surprise to me is my wife is also on that trip, um, which was not a plan 24 hours ago. Um, So Friday afternoon, uh, she calls me and says, so the leader of this trip called and someone's like really sick and they they need someone to fill the spot and they want to know if I would go. Uh, I thought, that's great. When do they leave? Tomorrow at 3 (laughs) a.m. And so I thought, okay, let's let's figure this out. And so... um, You can pray for her. You can pray for me this week (laughs) Um, with the help of my mother and mother-in-law. We're doing this thing. And so she's like, within 24 hours, she's texting me from the Dominican Republic like, this is crazy, but that's where she is. Um, and so she's there with this team. And I love whoever named that school Makarios got something really right. Because uh, in a place that's suffering with really significant brokenness and poverty, trying to improve the lives of these children, uh, they used a word. They named this school blessed. They said this school is in this moment, even in their face of this brokenness encountering blessing, living in a state of blessing. Here's how one scholar talks about this word. Uh, He says, makarios is a state of existence in relationship to God in which a person is blessed from God's perspective, even when he or she doesn't feel happy or isn't presently experiencing good fortune. In the context, this is really interesting because the whole crowd, that big crowd that was following Jesus wherever he went, they did not have this vision. They said the blessing that we're chasing Jesus for is something we don't yet have and desperately long for. And yet Jesus pulls his disciples aside and says, that's not quite it. You actually are blessed. And even though in this reading he says, uh, you will be reviled and persecuted for my name. And yet that doesn't change the fact that you're blessed in this very moment, which I think is something that's really helpful for us to wrestle with. Do Do I feel and realize the truth that I'm blessed by God in a way that can transcend the circumstantial realities of my life? Do I realize that I'm blessed even when circumstances, even when things that feel as though it's pressing in from every side, that I actually still am blessed? I think of that image last week, Jesus talks about the light shining into the darkness. Those of us who are in the darkness, um, Jesus comes to us. Not once we figure it all out, once we get our education and figure out how to be successful and wealthy and powerful. No, he comes to us in our places of brokenness. I thought of our bishop, Todd Hunter. Todd Hunter often says, the kingdom of God is never in trouble. And therefore, you and I are safe. We don't live that way. We live circumstantially, which says if I lose my job or if I get a a terrible diagnosis, I don't feel safe. I feel very vulnerable and exposed and at risk. And yet if you and I are members of the kingdom of God, there's a very real reality in which we are safe because we are rooted in the presence of God. And that can transcend any situation we find ourselves in. It's interesting though how we can say that and like in church, you can be like, yeah, that's, that's good, it's good. And yet we live in such a way where the slightest thing that presses against us or, or tests that reveals like what's actually going on inside. I'll give you an example, a very simple example. A, a boss of mine years ago, who was about 10 years older than me um, at the time was uh, in about his mid thirties. And he said, I woke up one day and middle age just arrived <laughs> and everything started to hurt. <laughs> Like before, nothing hurt, and now for no reason, just things started to hurt. And I thought of him this week because I woke up and I think like middle age arrived for me this week. Um, I was pulling a trash can out of my kitchen trash, and like my back starts hurting, changing the trash bag, and I'm like, what? What is that? And it led to like three days of crippling back pain which is ridiculous and yet very real, very real reality this week. Um, my wife almost did not go to the DR because she like imagines me laid out on the floor with my kids like roaming through the house without anyone to care for them. Um, but like I pulled it together, you know, took, took some Advil and it's amazing what that stuff does. Um, point being, it is incredible how happy and pleasant and composed I can be when I'm not in pain. And all of a sudden my back start, starts hurting and it's like, it's like stuff comes out that you didn't even know was there. One of my favorite phrases Chris McDaniel uses, a uh, pastor on the west side. I don't know where he got it. If it's original to him, it doesn't matter. But he, he often will say, what comes out when you're squeezed? I love that phrase. What comes out when you're squeezed? Uh, this week in the simplest of ways, a little bit of back pain. It's like I'm squeezed a bit. And you see, well, what comes out? Do I actually believe I'm safe and rooted in God's kingdom in that I have a blessed state of being that transcends that pain. Um, What is it for you? There are things in your life like that, that squeeze you, whether it's work or relationships or health or all the above, whatever it may be, there are things that squeeze us in our life. And so it's one thing to say, yes, I believe that I'm blessed because I'm a child of God. It's another to so embody that in the core of our being that when we are squeezed, we don't fall apart. And yet that's the kind of person God wants us to be. That if we're squeezed, we actually still in the core of our being know that we're safe. We know that we're rooted in His kingdom. Let's talk about the kingdom of God a little bit. We can't in any way exhaust this, but just, it's one of those phrases like wisdom or love. Like we, we use these words in church and yet we may not always know what we're talking about. Like what do we mean when we say the kingdom of God? One of the most helpful things in recent years I've heard is people talk about what they call the now and the not yet of God's kingdom. Maybe you've heard that phrase, the now and the not yet. Meaning Jesus on the one hand in scripture says, in me, the kingdom of God is at hand. There's something about the incarnation, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. That means the kingdom of God is here right now. And yet Jesus teaches us to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's something about the kingdom that Jesus, even though it's at hand, asks us as his people to to bring in, to join him in praying and longing for that to be true. If you were an ancient Jew or a Jew in the days of Jesus, the idea of kingdom would have been entirely wrapped up in the idea of a king of the rule and the reign of God. And this way, Kanye gets it dead right. Jesus is king, right? Psalm 10 says this. It says, the Lord is king forever and ever. That is the idea of the kingdom of God, that a kingdom has to have a king. And so Jesus is Lord and king. That is unshakably true, whether or not you and I Uh, feel that that's true it's not subjective it's not like we make him king when we feel like it and otherwise he's not no jesus is king he rules and he reigns today and yet you don't need me to tell you that we live in a world in which we see uh, brokenness that is not true of what we say about his kingdom if there's a way of life a way of being in the kingdom of god in which every tear will be dried every pain will be healed You and I know that's not the case. Children still get cancer. Marriages still fall apart. Natural disasters still kill thousands. Helicopters crash into the sides of hills. And the whole world in an instant is reminded of the frailty of life, right? Everyone in the world has thought of that and wrestled with that this week because the world's not how it's meant to be. There's still this longing to see God's kingdom, even though we claim and believe and and trust that it's true. There's still very real brokenness in the world that you and I contend with. And it's not just out there, it's in our own hearts. And we see it day by day. Maybe to stick with that kingdom language, sometimes people explain it this way. They say it's almost like a kingdom, a people who've lived under oppression. They've lived under war and all the broken effects of war for decades. And yet peace is coming. And in fact, hundreds of miles away, a peace treaty has been signed. Like It is certain that peace is now established and yet if you're hundreds of miles away and the news hasn't arrived you still are longing and waiting for that news for that truth to be true it's no less real that peace has been signed and and secured but you're still waiting for that to come in your own life you're still waiting for the fruit of that to fully work its way in and it takes time even when you hear the news it takes time for that peace to be established maybe a simpler a simpler example a few years ago my family and i lived in texas Decided to move back to Atlanta to be home close to uh, family. We grew up here to work at Trinity. And it was interesting as we shared that news, everyone was saying the same thing. Oh, you are so blessed to live close to family. And in some ways, we were living in that blessing. We were living in that blessed state. And yet we were still five five states away. Like we were not actually embodying that blessing. And at the time, our kids were all really little. We were desperate for that blessing. And like this verse would have been really significant for us. Like blessed are the parents of really, or of really tiny children because they're weary and sleep deprived and exhausted. But someday, you know, they will be blessed. They are blessed even though this is true. And so we, we held on to that hope and believed that that was secure for us. And yet we weren't fully experiencing that. And it even took several years to, to fully live into that reality. And so the kingdom of God is, all of these examples, they fall short. But in some way, it's like that. There's this now and the not yet. Jesus says to his disciples, you are blessed. You live in a state of blessing. The kingdom is at hand. And yet there's work for us to do because it is not yet fully the way that the Lord longs for it to be, the way in which he invites us to join him in that kingdom work. I think if we can have this kingdom vision, it actually helps us make sense of some of these couplets, some of these phrases we see. So take the idea of meekness, for example, blessed are the meek. I think that does not mean what we often think it means. If you see meekness, you think again of hippie Jesus, don't you? You think of like meek and mild Jesus. You think of John Yu on the good place, if you right? Like you think of like this Buddhist monk who's just like pious and doesn't say a word and, you know, just contemplates all day long. Like that is actually not meekness at all. By biblical definition, that is not meekness. It's not what Jesus invites us into. Meekness is actually incredibly active. It's linked to relationships. To be meek is to relate to one another in very intentional, sometimes very provocative and dramatic ways. Aristotle, not a Christian, but had a lot of wise things to say. Aristotle put it this way. He said, the one who is truly meek is the one who becomes angry on the right grounds against the right person in the right manner at the right moment for the right length of time. You could say in some ways there's a meekness to Jesus when he's flipping over tables in the temple. Like somehow meekness and that righteous anger go together. And if we're meant to be people who look more and more like Jesus, then in some way that meekness needs to define us as well. And there needs to be in us a righteous anger against things that are not a part of his kingdom. About things that are unjust. Things in which we need to actually give ourselves to to see his kingdom break in that's the mystery of God's will that he invites you and me to be a part of this work that that not yet as his kingdom grows it falls to us to join him in that work that he invites us into this process to overcome evil with good the great abolitionist william wilberforce you may know that name he said there's no room to be idle there is so much misery to alleviate That's a meek statement, rightly understood. That is a statement that reminds us as blessed people living in God's kingdom that we have to be active. There is a call before us. I spoke to this last week. There's a call to us as the church to go into broken, dark places and say the kingdom of God is here. Even if you feel broken, even if you do not feel the kingdom of God is anywhere near to you, it is in fact here. You are blessed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks a lot about the church, talks about what it means for us as the church to live in that kind of blessing, to be a kind of people for whom this is actually true. He has a book called Life Together. It's really helpful if you've never read it, but he talks about Christian community because all that work that we do, all that kingdom reality, it begins right here. It begins with us living in the kingdom of God and then inviting other people into it. And he puts it this way. He says, Christian community means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. There is no Christian community that is more than this and none that is less than this. And what he's getting at is he's saying there's something in the church that is not something we can fabricate or make up, but it is grace given to us. You and I are not here because of affinity because we just happen to like each other, which is really how we spend most of our life otherwise, isn't it? We spend our time with the people who like the same things, who are interested in the same activities, uh, even who are at similar levels of wealth, so we can all go and enjoy similar activities. That's how we structure our lives, and yet that is not necessarily the church. Uh, The church is, in fact, maybe the only place in your life when you are intentionally meant to gather and be in close family relationship with people with whom you have nothing else in common except the fact that as we read in paul's letter to the corinthians that it's in christ that we find our life and if you are in christ and i am in christ then we belong to one another and so we can be the church we can be members of this family of god maybe the only place in your life where that is true and i think we have to begin to see that to begin to say that we belong to one another in really significant ways. And really we see that in this meal. In just a minute, we'll come here to this table. And the beautiful thing about the communion meal is it's the great equalizer. Whoever else you are outside of this room in here, all you are is a child of God. And you and I enter the exact same way. And we come forward the exact same way. Um, I was in Charleston years ago and visiting a church. You may have seen uh, the same thing, but we were touring this church, one of the historic churches in the peninsula and, uh, they were pointing out how George Washington, up on the front, had a reserved box pew. You remember box pews, where like you would have a lock and key to your pew, um, and so they had like the prized seating, front center for George Washington. And they uh, obviously he didn't live in Charleston, but would winter there, and so would come down, and they would like keep it warm for him, and you know they'd unlock the box and let him in, and uh, preserved it hundreds of years later. You still have George Washington's boxed seat. Um, and there's something like, like historically curious about that and interesting, but also theologically really terrible, like awful. We don't like, we don't have, we, we have really annoying rolling chairs, but all of you get them. Like there's no uh, preferential chair. Like, like Chris isn't up here without wheels. Like you got a wheel with the rest of us, right? Um, we're all in this together and, and we all enter in the exact same way. There is no preferential reality. We are the people of God living as citizens under the king. And so we come and we receive the bread and the wine in the same way as children. And I think in some ways, this meal, the rhythm of every week receiving this meal, it reminds us of what is true. Because when you leave this place, all those other realities are gonna tempt and they will press in to say, this is actually true. I'm actually defined by what I make or where I live or what I drive or who I know, but none of it actually matters. And we live a delusion so much of the time. And if we're going to be effective and enter into that kingdom work to be the people who know that they are blessed and so they can go into dark places, we actually have to know this in the core of our being, that who you are is defined at this table and in the waters of baptism. It's not defined by what you do or what you make or who you know. If you're able, would you stand? Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. My name is Trip Prince and I'm the parish pastor here at Trinity on the north side. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people growing into Christ's likeness. You can learn more about Trinity and get plugged into the life of the church by visiting us online at atltrinity.org. God bless you and have a great week.